Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto. And good evening and welcome to the show. My name is Yona Budd. I'll be your host this evening. I'm joined in the studio this evening with, by Natasha and Corey. Uh, if you've never uh, listened to the show before, this is um, the show is put together to try to uh, connect one another, uh, people together, and us with others to uh, talk about how to recover from whatever you know—a difficult weekend, difficult week, a couple of years of pandemic, and anything and everything that ails you a little bit. And that's what we're here to do. I am a trained therapist as well as uh, learning to become a broadcaster all at one. So here we are, and more than willing and able to talk to you about the things that bug you, uh, even if you just uh, just want to you know sign off or send off or you know just a little bit that's okay too you know in preparing for the show this evening you know we, we spend a, a week putting together shows you know topics and such for the show trying to keep up with you know things that we think you'd like to hear about and then give it a bit of a, a help a helping twist to it that's kind of what this is about here I, I'm kind of speechless man I mean um, you know we did two years of uh, keeping everybody together during the pandemic it's going to get better it's going to get better and you know thank God it's gotten better and uh, many less uh, Few, much fewer, many fewer people. Uh, it's probably not proper English. Fewer people, um, not uh, not uh, not getting sick. You know, there's there's many, 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 many that are doing well now, and uh, many less in the hospital. I'm just trying to get some composure here because I don't really know where to go with this. It's just, the, the opening segment tonight, and the, probably the first couple of segments is how do we deal with this. Uh, stuff that we're seeing on TV. So the road to recovery goes overseas for the next couple of segments. Um, we're just trying to figure out how to get through it. You know, you turn on a little bit of news or listen to some radio, hopefully, and, uh, you know, uh, read some paper, uh, you know, whatever. You're, you know, obviously, social media has got all kinds of stuff about what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, it just defies any kind of semblance of normalcy or, or understanding or, you know, rationale. It's just not you know, just not the thing, you know, and as, as we were getting, trying to get through the pandemic and, you know, trying to come out the other side and we felt a little locked down and, you know, obviously many of us felt secluded and such that we were, you know, couldn't get out of our homes for months and months and months, certainly in the beginning, uh, the first year or so of it. So we can really imagine and feel the feelings of those that are living in the Ukraine and having to live with, you know, a different kind of life and death situation. So I want to hear how you're feeling and how you're managing with your anxiety and stuff like that. And, you know, if you're sleeping at night, not eating properly, like how are you getting through it? Are you paying attention to it? Is it really keeping you down? We want to, we want to hear from you. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. But uh, earlier this week on Thursday night, um, I do the, I do a segment called Wellness Check uh, on a show called On Point, uh, usually hosted by Alex Pearson. This week was uh, hosted by Arlene. And um, she uh, and I had a conversation because the question she asked me is, you know, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you get past this yicky feeling in your belly with all that's going on? So just have a listen. What are you thinking from your perspective here? I mean, you sit there and you deal with people's individual trauma. We have a collective trauma on our hand. And I know we've already tapped into your wisdom here with the collective trauma of this pandemic. But this is war. I'm using the word primitive. We're feeling it. What are you saying to people and how are you feeling? Well, I'm, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, I think that what we're telling people, what, what, what I'm telling people, what we should be telling people is we need to try to keep our lives in perspective. Um, it's important that we recognize that there's horrible things going on in the world and frankly have always been horrible things going on in the world. Um, now it's very upfront and 
vocal and everyone sees it. Uh, it's a horrific time. There's just no way to make this nice. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 at the end of the day, though, um, you know, if I'm to step back from my, you know, step back from, from the media for a little bit and look at my life and look at where I am with my family and my children and my career and the people that I have that love me and that I love, life's pretty good. And it's really important that we try to keep in perspective, not to be callous or cold as it relates to the activities that are in the world around us, but it's very important to be focused on the world we're in. And that necessarily isn't necessarily the global world per se, but the world that we live in day to day and the people that we're involved with day to day. And from that, we should find some comfort, find some joy. And that is a some that's somewhat of a balance with some of the ugly things that we see in the world. But there's no way to pretend that we're not in a bad place. There's no way to pretend that there aren't uh, horrific humanitarian um, uh, tragedies going on in, in Russia and in in, uh, in the Ukraine. Um, and I think you know it's it's nice to be compassionate. It's nice to be part of uh, a movement of people that feel this is unfair and un, and and unjust. Um, and I suggest that rather than being passive, if you want to participate which really helps our, our mental health, participate in some way, send some relief effort, uh, pack some bags. You know, uh, my, one of my kids in my family are putting together knapsacks and stuff to send to kids. They're shipping them off in the next couple of days. You know, we don't have to be passive. We can be active in a positive way. And at the same time, keeping our lives in balance such that we don't find ourselves trapped in our own bomb shelter, at least in our head, right? So it's recognizing that the world's in a bad place, doing what we can to try to make it a little better so we can sleep at night, feeling we tried to make a difference, but also recognizing our own reality. And frankly, you know, our reality today, you know, at least, you know, where I see us living in Canada and Toronto, um, it's, we're not in, a, in, in the same place as uh, other people in the world that are not doing well. And we need to recognize that. It's one thing to be empathetic. It's another thing to be totally depressed and anxious around things we have no control over. And I think that's really the key, uh, the, the key at the end of the day, Arlene, is that we really don't have much control over what's happening out there right now. So we can do little things. But uh, prayer is also a good thing if you're into prayer or sending messages or writing letters. Anything that makes you feel better about the process um, is what we should be doing. We're not going to make a big change, as I said, but we can make a change in how we perceive, manage, and tolerate what we hear and see. Well, there you go. There's my conversation with uh, Arlene on uh, uh, on point this week. Uh, hopefully it was helpful and give you a bit of advice. I believe we have a caller. We're just waiting to uh, get some information on the caller. We're going to uh, chat with them uh, if we get them up sooner than later. But, uh, you know, where, where are we going with all this, right? Like, so I'll give you some tips on, on what to do and kind of how to, how to take care of uh, <clears throat> yourself through all of this. But, you know, we're going to feel anxious. We're going to feel, you know, horrified. We're going to feel, you know, like there's not much we can do. And the trick is being able to act actually do something right which is uh, what's what's critical at the end of the day here um and i i think that you know what we what we need to probably figure out here is um how you're going to cope because this isn't going away anytime real soon and um and you know how, how are we going to get past you know this feeling um uh, for us to be able to uh, carry on and know where we are in the world and realizing what's going on you know with with you know everything around us yet still be able to cope and function and and try to get some good out of the day right um try to be able to do what you feel like you're able to do and um you know at, at the end of the day being able to make sure that you're um you know you're you're in a place where you're able to um you know, kind of just 
get your head turned around. Anyway, we have a, we have a caller. His name is Mustafa. We're going to ask Mustafa if you're kind enough just to hold over the break. And when we come back from break here, we're going to talk about what you can do, right? Like, what can you do to just try to get through this and make yourself feel like we're doing something? Because I think if we feel like you're doing something, you're going to feel somewhat better. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Welcome back. This is Yona Bud on Road to Recovery here on 640 Toronto, where if you are just joining us for the first time, we're talking about how to get past the uh, feeling of helplessness, loneliness, uh, anger, frustration, anxiety, fear that we see watching what's unfolding across the pond. So Road to Recovery has gone across the pond a little bit for the first couple of segments to talk about uh, what we can do to support uh, the effort in the Ukraine and therefore feeling like we're actually doing something to make a difference. So what can you do, right? What is it that you're able to do to get past this and feel like you're actually doing something? More than a million Ukrainians have actually fled their country. I saw something earlier today uh, on a news bite um, from CNN that was they interviewed uh, a woman who was talking about the fact that, you know, a million or so Ukrainians have, have fled, but there's 30 or 40 million that have stayed behind. Um, you know, this is a remarkable uh, sign of resilience and determination and the quote unquote David over Goliath scenario where, in fact, you know, you can see that the little ones are really fighting hard to take the big bad monster down. And uh, in fact, <clears throat> that's what we're dealing with, a big bad monster. And it's really scary to see this unfold, but there's things we need to do. You can't just sit back and if you're sitting back and it's making you, you know, it's frustrating you because you feel like there's something you want to do and can't. That's what we're going to talk about in this next little segment here about things you could do to actually make a difference and make yourself feel like you're making a difference or at least contributing, right? So uh, as the world watches the displacement, you know, Canada itself is ready to accept refugees, Ukrainian refugees. And on Thursday, the immigration minister, uh, Sean Fraser, said that uh, expedited temporary visas and so on. So making it much, much easier for people from the Ukraine to either stay here if they are here or uh, come here without whole lot of questions asked and uh, essentially stay as long as you like and um, from what we see and if you want to make permanent uh, application I believe that's going to be expedited to some degree as well. Uh, so how do you get involved? Here's a list of some like charities and stuff that we could be doing as Canadians, as, as Torontonians, things that we can do to make a difference. So I'll tell you what Airbnb is doing. The, the vacation rental company, they're, they're making up, they're uh, making available at no cost uh, up to a hundred thousand, um, short-term housing, uh, facilities available for up to a hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees. And it'll be funded by the company and any donors that, uh, are go to host refugees. So that's, uh, there's an airbnb.org forward slash help Ukraine uh, section here where you can make a contribution. If you don't think you can pack bags and send food and do that kind of stuff, just write a check, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is you can afford, more if you have it. Um, and, you know, we're trying to share some uh, re- reputable um, facilities and organizations that uh, structures that you can actually make a contribution through that are safe and actually the money gets to the people that need to have it when they need it. Canadian Food Grains Bank, um, they have a program with uh, the government where whatever you put, whatever you donate to them, uh, four times matched by the government. <clears throat> uh, the Canadian Ukraine Foundation, uh, they've raised over $4 million. Um, the donations are being set up for food packages and medicine and shelters. It's called the uh, Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal. You can also Google that or search it and um, make get access to make donations, get involved. Uh, Canadian Red Cross, always in the right place at the right time. Uh, they're uh, working 
working on a program to donate $10 million as a collective uh, towards the campaign to help uh, refugees and those staying in the Ukraine. Uh, Children of the Earth is uh, and One Humanitarian you, One Humanity Institute. They have a GoFundMe page set up to provide. Um, they've near the two organizations go um, Children on the Earth and uh, uh, One Humanity Institute together have raised um, about twenty million uh, for teddy bears. They, you, you buy these twenty excuse me twenty thousand um, dollars selling teddy teddy bears. You can buy these. And they're really cute. I went online to look at them. Uh, thirty bucks and uh, that money goes directly to uh, help uh, families and kids that are in shelters uh, in the Ukraine. <clears throat> the, there's something called the Return Alive Foundation where you can make donations. Friends of Ukraine Defense Fund. Uh, that's money going directly to uh, soldiers. Like These are things you can do. I'm not just sitting here trying to raise money for these people, but hopefully if it, if it helps, great. Then let's do that. You feel lost like there's something you can do and and, um, you know, you're not sure. So that's what this is about. I'm giving you action. We don't have to be victims. We don't have to sit back and watch the bully. We can take some action. And these are the kinds of things we can do here without strapping on a weapon over there. Right? So uh, Friends of Ukraine Defense Fund, they're raising money, um, humanitarian aid that goes directly to those in the armed forces, uh, displaced people, casual, those uh, resulting in casualty and so on, their kids. Uh, the soldiers' kids. Uh, global, now, now we have soldiers. You're talking about a guy who yesterday was a teacher and the day before might have been a doctor, but today he's a soldier or she's a soldier. Tons of women, tons of men, tons of kids, like teenagers. They're soldiers. They're standing up for their country. They're doing whatever they need to do so they can sleep at night saying, at least we tried. And I do believe in the David over Goliath scenario. I'm a big Rocky Balboa kind of guy, right? That's our, our lead-in song for our show because I do believe that, that small can triumph over big if it's the right direction and motivated by the right sense of right and wrong. And clearly, our, our Ukrainian friends and brothers and sisters, um, that there's no argument whether they should be uh, in the midst of a war or not. Clearly, they're just victims. They're just victims. They, 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 they weren't even at the fight in the parking lot. So the bad guys came looking for them because they didn't show up to the fight in the parking lot because they didn't want to fight. So the bad guys came knocking on their doors, looking in their homes, trying to find them so they could drag them out to the parking lot and make them fight. It's, there's nothing right about this. Another organization called Global Giving, Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. Uh, they're aiming to raise $9 million, donations going towards uh, Ukrainian communities, food, shelter, clean water, that kind of stuff. Uh, excuse me, global medical organization, Ukraine conflict response teams, uh, providing medical care. Help us help. It's a Canadian charity founded in 1993, and they focus on humanitarian aid in Ukraine and Canada. Donations go, go to provide tools and resources uh, for uh, veterans and disadvantaged youth. The charity's raised over $25 million in the past 25 years. International, these are all legitimate organizations that we can get involved in, that you can get involved in, that I can get involved in, where we can actually make a difference by sending money and doing the right thing. Thing. Um, uh, Kiev Independent, it's a Ukraine-based news outlet. They've raised probably, uh, I think, $1.5 million um, to, on their GoFundMe page just so they can keep reporting on what's going on. Um, they've been shut down clearly when you saw the, the blast in the, in, the, in the radio station. I believe now they're broadcasting from uh, um, under, uh, under duress in uh, shelters and such. Doctors Without Borders, always a good organization. UNICEF, always a good organization. Uh, Save the Children. You know, these people have been around for 
decades and decades and decades. I remember when I was a kid, we used to raise money for UNICEF when we used to go out on Halloween and, you know, get change and, and, uh, bring the boxes back to school. And, you, you know, big deal that we raised all this kind of money for, for, uh, relief around the world. They're still out there doing it. United Nations Crisis Relief Fund, Ukraine, um, Humanitarian Fund, World Vision Canada, Ukraine Crisis Response Fund. You know, there's all these things, Voices of the Children. There's all these organizations. You want to just send them a little bit of money or get involved with some of these organizations, some of these um, faith-based organizations that are packing knapsacks and putting together food supplies and, you know, uh, sending, uh, you know, folding beds and, you know, uh, sleeping bags and toys for kids. Oh, my God, there's so many kids there that would that need toys and games and just stuff to distract them from this horrific reality that they've, they're forced to live with, right? It's just... I don't know. We're just in a really bad place at a really, really bad time. And, uh, you know, where we go from here, I think as a, as a, as a, as a world, as a, a world society has everything to do with what comes out of this, um, this, uh, conflict. Can't leave these people alone. Can't leave them on their own. It's not fair. It's not right. If there was a bully in your neighborhood, I'm sure you'd show up to walk the kids to school to make sure the bully didn't steal their lunch. This bully doesn't want to just steal their lunch and eat it. This bully wants to steal their lunch and kill it, throw it on garbage, step on it, right? Just so that they can't have it, not because he wants it. I'm talking about Putin here, if you don't catch the analogy. He just wants their lunch so he can throw it in the garbage. You can see he's throwing the country in the garbage. He's just destroying it for no valid reason. Anyway, we're going to move past this. We're going to try to get to a better place on the other side. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the new normal, talk about executions and death and so on. We're seeing it in our schools now, and the kids are getting younger and younger. I have an expert that's going to join us to talk about that as soon as we come back from break. Yonabad, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. This is Yona Bud. You're listening to Road to Recovery on 640 Toronto. Thank you for joining us. I know you have other choices, and we're glad that you chose us. You know, um, there's, there's a whole discussion about uh, violence and, and gun activity amongst youth in Toronto, um, in, in the world for that, well, North America for that matter. But certainly, um, you know, we, we really need to look at this <clears throat> as something that we can't just kind of take as as the article talks about as a new normal. And the story goes on to talk about Sandra Co- uh, Costain. She can list the names easily. They're, they are never far from her mind. Sealand White, 15 in 2010. Uh, Tyson Bailey, 15 in 2013. Mackay Bishop Jackson, 15 in 2018. Three young boys shot dead in Regent Park. All unresolved murders to this day. The work, um, they are who she th- is thinking of after the 18-year-old uh, Jaheem Robinson was shot in the halls <clears throat> excuse me, of the Scarborough High School last week, or earlier this month. And when police called an execution alleged by uh, shot, the shooter was a 14-year-old boy. This can't be our new normal, says Costain, the director of children and youth at Dixon Hall Neighborhood Services, a social services organization that supports at-risk youth in the downtown east. This year has already been a bad one for youth, both as victims and alleged perpetrators of gun violence in Toronto. In January, 15-year-old boy was allegedly shot to death by a 13-year-old. I'm sure you all remember. We talked about it on one of our shows here. Uh, weeks earlier, 19-year-old uh, Malachi Elijah Bainbridge was allegedly gunned down in a parking lot by a 16-year-old, accompanied by a 16-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. 
Uh, for much of the pandemic, many of these in-person youth services that are available to kids just haven't been available. So kids are, you know, really getting angry, not having a place to lash out, not having a place to go and vent and talk, play ball, do whatever it is they needed to do to make themselves uh, feel a little better and not act out in the violent way that we're seeing on the streets. Uh, all the social media stuff, a little supervision, no scheduling. Uh, Costain goes on to say, no interacting uh, with uh, with each other, no opportunities to connect. It's a recipe for disaster, and that's what we're seeing uh, right now. I brought a guy, we have a guest joining us this evening, uh, very kind of him to join us. His name is Scott McKean. He's the lead of Safe TO, uh, which is Community Safety and Wellbeing uh, Planning for Toronto. Scott, thank you for joining us this evening. How are you? Great, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on your show, Yona. I really appreciate it. So, Scott, we, we've um, I've been talking about guns and gangs and such since I started radio about four years ago. We've had the likes of Marcel Wilson and Louis Marsh and uh, others that you know, I'm sure, uh, <clears throat> ministers and people from police and trying to kick around the same conversation. You know, kids are getting younger. They're doing stupider things, more violent things, um, things based more on ego than on, you know, turf or drug money or anything like that. Um, so kind of give me a, a lead into, you know, you got a, a big job. What's safe to you? What's the perspective on where they see us today and how are we going to get through this? And to what extent do you think you can uh, make a big difference? Well, first and foremost, again, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I really respect actually that you talk weekly about, you know, recovery and, and mental health and the impact of, you know, adverse experiences and trauma and, and, and explore these issues. I think it's really important. I think it's really related to the topic that, uh, that we're breaking open here tonight around gun violence. And so first and foremost, just so you know who I am um, at the city of Toronto, I have been leading the development of SafeTO, which is a 10-year community safety and well-being plan that council has now given direction to staff to implement. And um, SafeTO was developed in consultation with uh, a number of community members, many of actually who you listed off in your, yeah. in your list of people that you've had on your show. Um, and, you know, between community and council, we've been given a clear mandate, you know, to rethink differently about how we think about safety by thinking about the well-being of people and really um, not only looking at, you know, the crime aspects, but actually what, you know, what, what contributes to that, you know, the inequities uh, in our city, um, the racism, the poverty, uh, you know, the, the trauma that's experienced by, by communities at an individual level and at a community level and to, you know, to work with community to address those and, and manifest like solutions from within the community. And so the work ahead is to really, um, you know, we have a, we have seven goals and 26 actions, which, you know, are, are big, you know, big directions that we want to go as a city, but our, our immediate action is to actually to build it out with community. And, you know, the, those that we consulted gave us a clear mandate that, you know, we need to include community in the solution and we need to put them at the center of, of how we build this out. Uh, the timeline you said of 10 years, how far into it are you, uh, Scott? We just, uh, the year one implementation plan just literally uh, was approved by council in February. And so over the course of 2022, we're zeroing in um, on, you know, building out some of the efforts that the city is mobilizing around gun violence. So the expansion of our community crisis response program and some investment in community in terms of uh, well-being and recovery supports. Uh, the city has been partnering with a number of community agencies to ensure that communities impacted by violence have 
uh, you know, have the ability, you know, to access immediate, you know, culturally relevant and trauma-informed supports. And then over the course of the year, we'll be building out uh, some alternative uh, approaches to providing mental health supports on a 24-7 basis through the implementation of a community crisis support service. And then also uh, on the gun violence front, building a, a multi-sector office, Toronto office to prevent gun violence that brings together, um, you know, a number of different kinds of stakeholders and community partners to, you know, redevelop and re reimagine how we respond to gun violence in this city. Well, first of all, if you're here right now, I'd give you a giant hug. I know it's probably not pandemic uh, proper, but uh, I'd give you a giant hug because you're just going to make me cry. You sound a little bit like Louis, and, uh, you know, that's a good thing. You know, he talks about bringing stakeholders together, and when your side of the fence and his side of the fence get together and become the same fence, we have a real chance here, and uh, and good luck. You know, I, I'm really glad. I, I lots like a bunch more questions here. We got some more time, lots more time. So, uh, I here, here's the thing: the, the, the when you talk to to the experts, you know, Louis and, and Marcel, and I'm sure you, you know, Louis says it's not about getting to the roots; it's about getting to the seeds. Um, what's the what's the plan for for SafeTO uh, in terms of you know? I do a lot of work, obviously, with with youth and such, and have for many years. The you know, which is why it's you know something I'm keen on and talking about and. Uh, trying to see if we can help and make a difference. But, you know, at the end of the day, kids need a place to go, and hubs seem to be what are working. The problem is that for the most part, um, you know, the facilities available to, let's say, young people, we're talking about 12 to 18-year-olds here for all intents and purposes, 19-year-olds, you know, for them to have a safe place to go, they're closed by 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening. And that's really when the bad guys come out to play. So, you know, what's what do you think the plan is, or what is it is it front of mind or top of mind for you all to be looking at places where kids can go, young people can go as an alternative, like late night basketball or drop in centers or pizza and movies, like all this stuff works. I've run I've run private centers uh, for kids before. We saw two thousand kids a year out of a facility called Hope House Youth Charities. We used to help them with their homework, give them free food, pizza. They teach them how to cook. You know, we saw thirty, forty, fifty kids a night in a facility. Like it worked, right? We just it was private. We just couldn't sustain it for long term. But is, are you guys looking at this kind of stuff? One hundred percent. You know, and thanks for the virtual hug or the hug through the phone. It's definitely <laughs> felt, and I'll give it back to you. Um, you know, as someone who's focused in on healing, I think you know your question about space is really important. You know, and one of the things that you know from a city's perspective is you know we do invest in in recreational facilities like libraries. And a partner organization such as Toronto Community Housing have done some of the things that you talked about in terms of late night basketball and creating that access, you know, that sort of accessible space. Now, the COVID pandemic is, you know, yeah. threw a wrench in everyone's lives and including yeah. the excessive space. And, you know, as Sandra Costain um, and actually Sandra Costain hired me at Dixon Hall many years ago. So I'm, oh, I'm familiar wow. with, uh, you know, with the, the folks in the article. And so when, you know, when she talked about, you know, um, you know, creating that, like that, that sort of access and creating opportunities for young people, you know, and the, the impact of the pandemic on there, it, it really kind of, you know, impacted the ability for young people to participate in safe space. And so I think, you know, an immediate learning is pandemic or no pandemic, we need to be where young people are and create safe, accessible avenues, whether it's you know, in, in a facility like a community center or, or actually within the community. And so as we rethink this, you know, and, and look at, you know, successes like Toronto Community Housing had with their, their midnight basketball program, like we have to make sure that, you know, we're 
in consultation with young people, looking at where and when they want to engage. You know, and I think the tricky part with an issue of gun violence is, you know, it's almost like all the time, right? So you you yeah. need to think about, you know, how do we better support families and, and make yeah. sure that families have the ability to support one another? How do we build capacity of residents and provide tools uh, to help residents support one another better? Like, so for example, in, you know, in, in a particular community in the city, we, we did a, we ran a pilot where we were training moms uh, with psychological first aid and oh, not, wow. like, not, not to be like mental health providers. No, no, no. I get actually it. Just, support one another and they started training yeah. each other and it really had a significant impact and currently our youth development unit at the city is you know running a, a program called the community healing project in which we're working with young people you know who have lived experience um, of violence and lived experience of anti-black racism in the city and and they're becoming trained facilitators of, of healing practices and mindfulness and they're working in communities across the city to be able to you know, to support one another. And just like those kind of efforts where, you know, we're working with community and that, that's something they told us they wanted directly and enabling that and allowing that to happen, um, you know, in addition to like late night access and looking at those hours, like we, we have to build in like avenues for communities to support one another at all times. Well, I tell you, it's a very encouraging conversation for sure. And um, I, I, I believe, you know, I'd like, first of all, just straight up, I'd like to volunteer if there's an opportunity for me to come and talk to a group of people one, one evening or one Sunday or something. I'm, I'll am i volunteer my time anytime to, to do a, seg- a session or some training segments on getting through, uh, you know, crisis times and so on. But, you know, I, I, I just, I, I love where this is going. My, my, you know, my concern just to be a little bit, you know, I kind of that, uh, that guy that kind of sees both sides of the, of the, of the puzzle. Um, but, you know, it's timing, right? It's going to be all about timing. Um, and then the whole issue of what we give kids is an alternative, right? So, you know, there's an advantage, you know, the, the advantage to carrying a gun and, and, and being involved in gun violence is, you know, you get all kinds of, of extra credibility and such from it. And, you know, you, you get yourself kind of boosted in the community of bad guys, uh, so to speak. So we, we, you know, Marcel and I and, 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 the, and, the, and the crew have always been talking about ways to give young people that attaboy Billy or way to go Jane kind of uh, metal on a daily basis, right? That, you know, you're doing well, you, you know, here's something for, to show you that you're moving in the right direction. You know, it, it's a world of, you know, what do I, what am I getting? You know, I spoke to a, a 14 year old kid from a, 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 you know, a neighborhood that was seeing a lot of gun violence not long ago. And I said, you know, here, you know, here's some alternatives. And he said, dude, it's like, you know, I'm just not going to make that kind of money, you know, working at the things you're talking about. And, you know, he was talking about making four or five hundred bucks a week, you know, doing stuff that he shouldn't. I mean, at, at that, at that age, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, giving them an, giving people, young people an alternative to something that shows value, giving them some value, some unfortunately material or otherwise is, seems to be the way to go. Um, that's how we're kind of starting to look at it. Is that, is that kind of on the radar anywhere in, in the thinking of, uh, of plans to, uh, kind of engage kids and, and get them more involved in things that are positive versus the stuff they're doing now? Yeah, one one hundred percent. And uh, you know, there's a couple of examples. So I, I mentioned a, a few moments ago the community healing project uh, as an example. And so one of the folks that supports that is like a really well known sort of community benefits worker named Brandon Hay, who's done all sort of very innovative stuff with like you know the Black Daddies Club and 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 other things like that. And what he's actually trying to do is as we build the skill set 
within young people, you know, to like make positive change in their community, that we also further um, create economic development opportunities. And so starting working with the private sector and corporate sector to inject that mindfulness and um, that, that sort of community healing in there, but actually from those with lived experience that are most impacted by, by this kind of stuff. That's one of many examples. I think the other point that you, you really made in, I, you know, in, in my, my conversations with Marcel, this comes up a lot. Uh, you know, you talked about the competitiveness between, you know, you know, good, is, choice, is a, good choice program, and bad choice. Yeah. Or is a program going to cut it when, you know, uh, maybe, you know, like an illegal activity could pay a lot more than getting involved in a, a regular job or opportunity. And I think something that came up when we were consulting on SafeTO was the concept of identity and yeah. the sense of belonging in our city. Yeah. And I yeah. think if we can combine the sense of belonging um, and, and equity along with these kind of opportunities and, and almost like inspire that kind of, uh, you know, those processes like hope or, you know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, th- those kind of things. I think that's where the real opportunity is, is in front of us. And, you know, and I think that really illuminated to me in some of the work that I've done with communities, because, you know, there, there are people who are just champions and leaders within their community. And there's people who are hurt, whether individually or community level. And we need to uh, we need to be able to address that full on. I got to, you know, Scott, I'd like to, I'd like to have you come back. Are you okay to come back another night and uh, continue? Because we, we're running out of time and I just don't feel like we've even gotten started. Um, but if you can make yourself available, I'll have uh, our production team reach out and we'll do, we'll do this again if that works for you. For sure. I'd be honored to come back on. Thank you uh, so much. My, my pleasure. I'm talking to Scott McKean, one of the good guys. He's the lead of SafeTO Community and Safety and Wellbeing Planning for Toronto and uh, saying all the right things. And I'm sure going to make sure that we do all the right things. We ran over here a little bit, so we got to do some ads and we come back to Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. You're on the Road to Recovery with Yona Bud here on Global News 640 Toronto. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. If you want to uh, chime in and uh, share any information or thoughts, ideas, comments, anything like that, it's an interactive show. We want to hear from you anytime. We're glad to uh, take your calls. Um, you know, we are, are at a point where there's a lot of uh, domestic issues going on, family issues, family court issues, um, divorce, separation. People are learning, uh, many more people, I believe, learning that uh, maybe they can't live together so well since uh, they're living under difficult circumstances over the last couple of years while being locked down during the pandemic. Um, and there's a conversation uh, roaming around about uh, divorce lawyers and um, how they actually hear. And, and, you know, I deal, obviously, in, in my practice, we deal with situations often where people, patients, uh, have issues with uh, custody or separation or getting out of a bad situation, being a bad marriage, bad uh, relationship. Um, and I often send uh, patients, communicate with um, uh, family lawyers to try to get them the best care that they can and the best representation and, ad- and, and the best advocates we can. Um, but, you know, it's difficult for a lot of um, attorneys, a lot of lawyers to deal with family related devastation. Uh, you know, the psychological stuff, the stuff that we're talking about here is the emotional stuff around um, you know, what, what separation and divorce looks like for a lot of people, major depression, right? Severe anxiety, extreme levels of stress. These are the kinds of things 
that most clients that visit a divorce lawyer or a family lawyer, I'm sure, uh, share and, and, and have to deal with day by day. The question is, are the lawyers themselves trained and capable and ready to deal with some of the more complicated stuff that aren't so, isn't so straightforward as it relates to law itself? Uh, my guest this evening is Leanna Townsend. She's the counsel and chair of the Family Law Group at Mills and Mills LLP. They're barristers and solicitors. <clears throat> She's joining us this evening. Thank you, Leanna, for joining us and staying up so late. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation, um, and, and I've, you know, obviously I, I, um, I, it's nice to know that there's a family law group at Mills and Mills. It now opens up the opportunity for me to send people elsewhere as well, but hard to find a good, uh, family lawyer who gets it, who understands the needs of the, uh, emotional and mental health relationship, uh, between the situation, the legal situation they're in and their clients slash, you know, our patients, their clients, um, well-being. Um, how is that any different today than it was? let's say a couple of years ago before the pandemic um, kind of locked us all down and made us look from the inside out, so to speak? Well, I think that right now, a lot of people, you know, just generally are going through really tough times and there's, you know, a rise in mental health issues you know, uh, generally across the population as a result of, you know, the lockdown and just everything going on in the world right now. And so, you know, that is carrying over into the family law world. And I've found over the last couple of years, my practice has been you know, busier than ever. And it just seems to be nastier. There's more conflict and people are, yeah. there's a higher yeah. level of distress amongst clients. And so, you know, it's definitely showing up uh, you know, in the courts and uh, in the family law space. Uh, you know, one of the articles, uh, the article goes on to say here that um, lawyers end up turning themselves into sounding boards without offering a lot of, uh, a lot more than just an empathetic nod or a tissue or something. And then, the, you know, some some lawyers, as it goes on to say, divorce lawyers that do try to address any psychological component of the client's life are dangerously overstepping their role as a legal advisor and can create more harm than good. You know, I don't buy that, right? See, I, I, I've I've worked with lawyers. I've been in practice for a lot of decades, you know, over four decades, and uh, <clears throat> worked with a lot of different lawyers in a lot of different firms, doing a lot of great work. Uh, you know, I was trained years ago under a guy named Stanley of Ruskin, who was one of the first uh, advocates for kids. He was uh, one of the first uh, official guardian uh, type lawyers way back when, uh, you know, a long, long time ago. So I've been around this for a long time. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, they're and really great lawyers do a great job of understanding their patients or their clients, listening to what they have to say, providing them with, you know, referrals to people like me and other forms of therapeutic solutions and so on. Um, that's, you know, that seems to be the best place for them to to practice. Now we're talking about the possibilities of of lawyers now adding a a, a segment in their education moving forward and training for those that are already called to the bar and practicing around being you know a little more psychological training and a little more around kind of hand holding therapeutically and so on. Good idea or not a good idea? I, I think it's a good idea. Um, a lot of the job of a family law lawyer. Um, you know, at times is providing some level of emotional support to clients. And I think if you like, you know, in my case, I've kind of in my own life had certain issues I've had to work through and I've been very open to, you know, therapy and things like that. And so I have had exposure to a, a lot of different um you know, modalities that, that I use. And so I don't, obviously with clients, I don't act like a therapist and, and use those, you know, types of things, but I'm, I'm aware of them and know how to direct people to them. Um, 
But if somebody who, you know, perhaps hadn't been through some of the life experiences that I've been through and they're a lawyer and they're just starting out and they're younger as well and maybe don't have experience dealing with people as much who are in distress, I think that, you know, to some level of, you know, training on how to deal with people who are highly distressed or people who are traumatized or people who are suffering from PTSD would be helpful um, for, for all family lawyers um, because the reality is like that we are dealing with people who are, you know, in some cases they could be suicidal. They, you know, they have, yeah. act, it could yep. be an active addiction. Like there's all sorts of things that could be going on. And if you don't handle it properly, you could make a situation much worse for somebody. And, you know, somebody goes and shoots their wife, their ex-wife and, you know, and blows themselves up as well. And so the consequences can be quite significant if something isn't handled properly. Yeah. So it's knowing, you know, it's knowing when to stop and start, right? I mean, I get people asking me legal questions all the time because I've, you know, been involved in, you know, hundreds of cases as a, as a criminal, as a, uh, an investigator with family related stuff, custody battles and so on. So, but I know the line. I know where I shouldn't be trying to practice law and where I should be trying to, you know, give a little bit of advice. It's hard to find that fine line because you know that you really want to help a lot, right? So it makes it difficult. And, and I gotta, I gotta tell you, just listening to you and hearing the, the, the real empathy and the, the, the realness in your voice, like that's what it takes. It takes people like you to talk to people that are going through that kind of stuff and say, hey, you know what? I'm not a therapist, but you know, I was going through a rough time not so long ago, and this is what really worked for me. Like, I think that's so real and so special and makes you so remarkable in your – forget about what kind of law you practice, just the kind of person I want to send people to because you get it. You understand it because you're, you know, you're living. You're, not, you're, not, you know, you're, you're sharing what you've lived through as opposed to, you know, I'm a lawyer. I came from a you – know, I'm, I'm sitting in an ivory tower, so to speak, somewhere, and you know, I don't really get it. Um, we got to find more people like you or train more people people like you to draw from their life experiences. I think you're absolutely right. Some training would be great, but you know, a lot of these young guys and gals that are in, you know, law school, you know, a whole bunch of them I've, I've known over the years of practice when they were in high school and and first year in the university. Now they're, you know, starting to practice law. A lot of them have like remarkable life experiences that they've lived through and done well and thrived as a result of getting good help. Like that's what they need to draw from, right? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, all of us in our work, we draw on our own personal experience. And so if you've been through, you know, something yourself, I always think, you know, as a divorce lawyer, I am divorced. So I know what it's like to be divorced. I understand, you know, how that feels and and the stresses of it. And I think that that does make me a better lawyer because I can relate to what my clients are going through. And, you know, same thing with other types of professions. And, you know, often people who do therapeutic work with people who have addiction issues, they went through an addiction, you know, issue themselves potentially. And and so they relate. And so, you know, I definitely think that's true. And we, we, we draw on our life experiences. And I think that that can make us better at what we do because we have more compassion for people because we know what it's like to be there. And, how, you know, challenging it can be. And, I, you know, everyone has their own experiences they draw on. Um, and, you know, some brings different experiences to the table with what they're dealing with. But I definitely think that that's something, you know, as a lawyer that makes someone can make someone a much more effective advocate. Uh, yeah, as, as long as you're comfortable, you know, you have to be, you know, you got to be someone like, you know, like you that's comfortable enough in their skin and what, and then what they've done and what they've learned that they can talk about it. So it's getting rid of that stigma of, oh my God, I can't let my client know that I actually had an anxiety disorder, you know, a couple of years ago during my divorce. And whereas it's not a weakness, it's a tremendous strength. So, uh, I think you and I are, are 100% aligned. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes. I'm definitely going to have you back if you're willing to join us another time because yeah, I'd love you're that. A, a, a remarkable resource, but kids centered therapy or kids centered practice. 
So I know that there's a lot of situations where you're representing, let's say, the mom or the dad, and there's kids in the middle. At what point, you know, it's a tricky question, but at what point do, you know, do you flip your switch? And, and I assume you have kids perhaps, yes? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. So uh, just, you know, I, I, you just sound like a mom anyway. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, you know, when looking at the, the needs of the kids involved in the battle, how do you, how do you, you know, tread that line over what's in the best interest of your client who is actually the mom or the dad? And knowing that, you know, you're, you also need to provide, you know, advice and direction to make sure the kids are okay. Because, you know, as you know, and you've done this long enough, I'm sure that parents sometimes, you know, look at their own interests and somehow, you know, often the kids are collateral damage, so to speak. Difficult line to, to cross, right? It's very difficult. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges of the type of work I do is that kids are often the, the biggest casualty, uh, you know, in some of these divorces, particularly the high conflict ones. And so you have to try and, you know, really point that out to your client and try, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, parents love their ch- their child and their ch- or their children. And so even when they're at war with each other and they maybe lost sight of that a little bit, when you, you know, remind them of how much they love their children and, and remind them of how what's going on is hurting them, I mean, most of them want to try and make it better. Um, and so, you know, that's really, uh, like, that's the most important thing you can do is try and open your client's eyes to what's going on. But again, I mean, there's some great professionals that, you know, have worked with families and work with children who are, you know, caught in the middle of these high conflict situations. And I, I mean, I'm a big advocate of counseling for everybody. I think everyone yeah, can benefit. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly children in the middle of a divorce. Um, yep. If the parents can get them counseling, I think that's a, a great, uh, of great benefit to them. I'm going to I'm going to ask you one more question. We'll try to keep it brief, but uh, I'm definitely going to have you come on because I got so many more questions we don't have time for. Um, psychological testing, something called the Section 30 report. People don't know what that is. That's a report that the parties agree to have done, where it's an assessment, psychological assessment on all the players, mom, dad, kids involved. Um, are, they take a long time. They're quite expensive. <clears throat> are they tools that you see uh, beneficial moving forward? That maybe there's an easier way to get them done, cheaper, quicker. Like I know there's a big backlog for Section 30 uh, therapists to provide that kind of report. I know that's a big deal in custody-related stuff. Um, any thoughts on that real quick? Um, yeah, I mean, those are done. There's something called a voice of the child report, which is a faster, less expensive thing that gets oh. done sometimes, but it's far less in-depth. It's really just meeting with the children, and so they have to be old enough to be able to, you know, share what they, they think or what want to have happen. But it can be, you know, in some cases, a helpful resource that can be done quite quickly, and, you know, something like that might run $2,000 versus, you know, 20-something thousand dollars, which an ass- a th- Section 30 assessment could be. Anyway, it's... it's uh... We got so much more to do. Leanna Thompson, Townsend is my guest this evening. She's the counsel and chair of the Family Law Group at Mills and Mills LLP Barristers and Solicitors. Uh, look her up if you have advice. You need advice. You have an issue. Uh, you're in the middle of a mess. Um, sounds to me like this is a this is a, a, a litigator. This is an advocate that you uh, you need to talk to. At least get some advice. And uh, Miller, Mills and Mills are well known, very well respected firm. So it's a great call to make. And uh, she's an excellent guest. So I'm sure an excellent lawyer. Uh, going to have you back for sure another time. We're going to go to break now because I'm running over and getting all kinds of buzzers and stuff and people throwing me off the air. So we'll do this again <laughs> soon, uh, Leanna. Thank you and uh, good luck to you. You want to bud here, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Thank you and welcome back to Road to Recovery. I'm Yona Bud, your host this evening in the studio with Natasha and Corey. Excited to hear from you and share with you 
as we go on this road to recovery. By just by dialing in, by the way, just by tuning us in this evening, guess what? You're already on the road to recovery. Um, unfortunately, in the last couple of weeks, I've had to come to terms with the fact that my mom, who is uh, um, close to 95, she'll be 95 in April, um, is uh, not doing so well. She was uh, tested positive for COVID month, about a month ago. No, no real, no real uh, symptoms, but out of nowhere began showing some serious signs of dementia uh, beyond what she was um, showing before. So such that, you know, didn't remember who I was, who my mother was and so on. It's kind of a sad story. Um, and I was talking to my kids about it at dinner and my grandchildren happened to be there and listening in. They're both under 10 and trying to have that conversation with them about why super booby, which is what we, they call her, um, super booby is, um, not doing so well. And, um, and what that really means. And it's a difficult conversation to have because, you don't know where to begin. You don't know how much is scary, what's not scary. Well, I was I was thrilled to find that um, there's a program out there. Uh, there are people out there speaking virtually at a grade 7 and 8 um, at Bakersfield Public School here in Thornhill, where, not far from where I live. Uh, the person's name is Jade Crystal and asked students if they know what dementia or Alzheimer's is, and a few put up their hands. People think dementia only affects older people, Crystal goes on to say, but that's not the case. Cognitive decline and Alzheimer's are typically associated with aging, with one in four seniors over the age of 85 in Canada being diagnosed with some form of dementia. And the article goes on. There's an article, uh, an excellent article here uh, that talks about um, the situation where more than 400,000 people live with dementia. By 2023, it's projected that annual health care costs for people with dementia will grow from 8 billion to 16 billion. So it's a big deal. Um, and by the time the symptoms of disease like Alzheimer's occur, uh, it's too late, according to Lynn Poslin. She's the founder of Women's Brain Health. Um, anyway, to carry on, to teach younger students how they can protect their brains, Crystal, um, Jade Crystal, uh, has been virtually um, popping into grade five and five to grade eight classes across Greater Toronto and Hamilton to deliver 75 minute sessions on brain health in those presentations. We focus on the healthy lifestyle choices we want to make, Crystal says. Adding the program pairs well with things students in that age group are already learning in their health and physical education curriculum. As of February, Jade Crystal has already presented to more than 1,000 students, and she's my guest here this evening. Jade, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so if the people don't know who you are, she's the program director of Brainable, and Brainable is an Ontario Ministry of Education-funded initiative. It's a free education program in Ontario, and it's geared to kids eight uh, grades five to eight and how to protect their brain health. It's created by the Women's Brain Health Initiative. Uh, Jay Crystal is an experienced and well-respected educator, where she was a grade eight homeroom teacher. Talk about being on the front lines. French immersion with the York Region uh, District School Board. She also serves on Women's Brain Health Initiative's Young Persons Cabinet, a dynamic team of millennials that want to educate others on the benefits of protecting their brain through healthy life choices. Holy smokes, like I'm sitting there talking to my <laughs> grandkids, Jade, and first of all, you're like a superstar in this world. Of <laughs> Thank brain you. Re brain recovery, like I'm really, it's like I'm waiting for, like to see where your medals of honor are. But... Um, <laughs> If you don't get one, I'm going to send you one after the show. But but I'm sitting there talking to my grandkids, trying to explain why you know why my mother, who they call Super Booby, is you know just not remembering things so well. I mean, how does it start? Like, how do you start? Let's before we get into how you educate kids, 
how do you get into the conversation with them? I can't be the only, you know, grandparent that's talking about great grandparents or the only kid that's talking about their grandparents, um, or sometimes parents perhaps with younger children, little children. How do you explain this stuff to them? It's hard. You know, it's for them, it's so far away, right? They, they can't even imagine a world. The, the example I always give the students is imagine taking a bite into your sandwich and forgetting how to swallow. Like, these are things that we take for granted. But oh, as we age, you know, our brains change and, and our brain cells, uh, our brain cell counts go down. And, and that all affects how the brain functions and things that we do take for granted just aren't there anymore. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough concept to teach to children. And I think the tougher concept is for them to realize that there are actually things that they can do now to protect their brains down the road. For them, like I said, it feels so far away. Um, but there really is so much. And it's funny because when I ask the students, you know, have you ever heard of the term Alzheimer's or dementia before? I always have students raising their hand, always ready to share. Oh, yes, my great grandmother has that. Or, oh, yes, I heard that. You know, they, they've heard of the terms, but I don't know that they, they fully get it. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we're so happy to be able to go in and explain it to them. Uh, Brainable, let me ask you something. This, um, this initiative, uh, Women's Brain Health, is that connected to Baycrest by any chance? Uh, no. So uh, Women's Brain Health Initiative is, um, they're actually celebrating their 10-year anniversary um, oh, this wow. year. Very exciting. Um, and, and Brainable is, it's a new program. Um, so it began in the fall. Uh, as you mentioned, I was part of Women's Brain Health Initiative as part of the Young Persons Cabinet. And um, I'm taking part in these Millennial Minds programs, learning about what we as millennials can do to protect our brains. And as I'm part of the session, I'm thinking, you know, this is what I'm trying to teach to my students as part of the health curriculum. Like, why, why is there not, you know, a program where someone can go in and, and really teach the students what they can do to protect their brains, you know, now? And not only, not only protect their brains for the future, but also improve their current brain function. Um, and so that's kind of how Brainable came to be. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I was reading the article that supports uh, us introducing you, and um, it talks about your brain peaks. I, I didn't know this. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. in my uh, I'm in my sixth decade. Uh, I'll leave it there. But um, <laughs> I understand that it uh, it start. You know, your brain pretty much peaks, as it says in the article, at 25. So one would imagine, kind of, you know, five to 25. Uh, is the time we should really be focused on good brain health and, you know, doing, you know, coming up with strategies and scheduling and, 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 and sort of habitual things, things that we do on a regular basis that as kids we can continue to do as adults that just naturally make us healthy. No one talks about it though, Jade. Like it's the first I time know. I realized, you know, and I'm a therapist. I, I had no idea that the brain peaks out really at 25 in terms of its ability to be, you know, in, at its peak, so to speak. Um, That's it. Yeah. Why aren't we doing more of what you're doing in the education system? Like, why is this just not part of the curriculum in York Region schools or in Toronto schools as part of, you know, sort of, you know, fourth grade to, to, to 12th grade education? Uh, what, what's, what's holding us back from sharing this stuff that you do um, in a very targeted way? But, um, you know, you can only do so much. A thousand kids is amazing, but there's tens of thousands that I'm sure mm-hmm. you're not able to reach because of, uh, limitations. What, what's the what's the opportunity to spread this? Right. Well, you know, the Ontario curriculum does cover certain things. So, for example, they, they're teaching students about healthy eating, and they're teaching students about the importance of physical exercise. 
But I think what's missing is the tie to the brain. So yes, it's important to eat our, eat our like, you know, for our fruits and vegetables, let's say. And that's what the students are learning. But, but let's break it down further. And that's when I go in and I say, yes, fruits and vegetables are great. They contain antioxidants. And this is what antioxidants do. But we also need, you know, a high amount of omega-3 fatty acids. And, and here are some examples, you know, walnuts, flax seeds, oily fish, uh, and this is what they do. And so I guess I'm kind of more, I'm supplementing the program. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, they're learning that physical exercise is important, but most of these students just think it's important for their bones and muscles. And it's like, well, no, it can improve your memory, your concentration, um, the amount of oxygen and nutrients that go to your brain. So I'm taking what's in the curriculum already, and I'm I'm kind of just adding one more layer to it and talking about how it really does affect the brain, which, as you mentioned, is, is going to peak at 25. And so they have, I always tell them, you have the ability to do so much to make your brain work even better, both now and down the road. So why not start now? And so, yeah, it, it is what we're doing in the curriculum. It's just a little bit one step further, let's say. I love it. You're so political. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> but I get it. I, 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 and it's, it's nice to know that there's something actually going on. But, you know, so when we're talking to kids about eating well and working out, and is, is it that kind of stuff that we're talking? I mean, I tell every one of my patients that's in recovery the same thing. Like, you got to sleep well, you got to eat well, you got to have some form of exercise every day. Is that really the, th- are those really the three key things that we're talking about in terms of, you know, young people learning to take care of their mental health? Or, you know, do we caution them on things like, you know, too much time on video games or smoking weed at a young age like you know are we we also dealing with the things that can cause you harm or just the things that will make you feel better and potentially be better as you get older oh no we are covering both so our program focuses on the six pillars of brain health so as you mentioned you know the the physical exercise the healthy eating the mental exercise um sleep social interaction and stress reduction but we also focus on what we have, have called our brain busters. So these are the things that, that can cause harm to the brain. Um, so that's when we talk about concussion, um, untreated mental illness. We also talk about Alzheimer's and dementia, of course, um, substance abuse, and uh, excessive use of social media. So we cover all of this in our 75-minute session, as well as in the magazine that we provide to each student as part of the presentation. Um, and we've also created a teacher resource guide so that teachers have three additional follow-up activities and an assignment uh, with a rubric and everything all based on the presentation so that they can keep the learning going. Uh, but yes, no, it's, you're absolutely right. It's so much more than just the stuff you know, that's good for our brain, but let's actually be careful of the things that can cause harm. So the one that actually surprises... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm just running out of time, but I go. You can finish off. You got about thirty okay, seconds. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say um, that what the students are really, you know, learning about is the effects of too much screen time and the importance of putting away their screens thirty minutes before bed. That is my key message to them. Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to Jade Crystal. She's the program director of Brainable. Will you come back some other time and talk to us some more? I would absolutely love to. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a a pleasure, and uh, kudos to you, and continue to have strength in doing what you do. It's really remarkable, and I'll sleep a little better tonight knowing that you're out there doing what you do. Thanks so much. We are talking to to, uh, Jade here, Jade Crystal, um, just a wonderful uh, person, really focused on making sure that kids come out the other side a little stronger, a little healthier maybe than than, uh, perhaps before they meet her, right? This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And good evening. Welcome back to the show. This is Yona Bud here on Road to Recovery, 640 Toronto. More Quebec teen girls hospitalized for suicide behavior, suicidal behavior, excuse me, in 2022. The number of teenage girls who visited Quebec hospital emergency rooms after attempting to take their own lives rose by 23%. In 2022, in a report published Monday, the Institute said that for every 100,000 girls aged 15 to 19, 1,600, 1,630 visited a hospital in 2021 because of suicidal thoughts and and 227 went to a hospital because they had attempted to take their own lives more than twice the rate among any other group of uh, or, or gender for that matter. Um, Quebec said while well, girls 15 to 19 are more likely to use hospital services related to suicidal behavior they have one of the lowest suicide rates in the province two factors that may be related uh, maybe young girls go to the hospital more quickly because their family members take care of them faster she said in an interview uh, according to this expert the report also found that the number of girls aged 10 to 14 10 to 14 who went to hospital after attempting suicide in Quebec rose from 49.2 percent sorry 49.2 per 100,000 in 2019 to 90.9 per 100,000 people in 2021 an increase of almost 80 percent joining me this evening is Dr. Brian Greenfield he's a psychiatrist at Montreal Children's Hospital Uh, good evening Dr. Greenfield how are you (laughs) I'm fine and how are you doing I'm good, and it's okay if your doggy barks in the background because we love hearing life. And uh, screaming children and dogs are beautiful, so uh, no need to hush them up. Maybe just give them a treat or something, huh? Anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us this evening, um, yeah. Doctor. This is these these are devastating numbers. Uh, ages ten to fourteen. You know, I, I've been in practice. 45 years, I'm now seeing more kids, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-olds with um, addiction issues and all kinds of other uh, self-harm and suicidal thoughts. What's going on and what do you think we're doing wrong as a society these days? Um, I, have, I have a different perspective. Um, and my perspective is driven by years of work with the, in the emergency room with these youth. Um, there's no doubt that COVID has taken its toll on the mental health of the population, for sure. Um, And there is an equation that uh, links adversity, and adversity broadly defined as bad events, like uh, divorces, sexual, physical abuses, neglect, alcoholism, drugs in the parents, etc., with a psychiatric disorder. Um, psychiatric disorder could be um, attention deficit hyperactivity with irritability. It could be panic attacks. It could be separation anxiety. All kinds of disorders. Um, when you combine the adversity with the psychiatric disorder, you have a vulnerability to suicide. Um, thank God the ratio of actual completed suicides to attempts and to suicide thoughts or ideation is a very, very small ratio, thank God. And I see the increase in visits to emergency rooms for suicidality evaluation um, as in part a reflection of the stresses of COVID. Um, But I also see it 
there's a healthy component to it, and uh, that's a silver lining in the cloud. And I don't think. What do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? What's the healthy component? I think society is getting healthier it, from the perspective of stigma. I think uh, we're less inclined uh, to say that suicidality is, yeah. we should be hush-hush about it, and that psychiatric disorders, we should ignore okay. them, suppress them. I think teachers, administrators are more open to considering that these youth are suffering and they need psychiatric care. Um, or, or care from a health professional. And so they're more inclined to send them for help. And I find that very healthy. Now, I'm not wishing for our numbers in the emergency room to, to be high, um, but I am impressed that many school administrators, teachers, police, uh, social workers um, are able to identify these youth sooner now um, and have a lower threshold to send them for help. And we can do a lot to help them. We could do enormous uh, work to help the youth in crisis. Now, the, the under age 14 is also not a surprise to me. And um, Dr. Brett Burstyn and took the lead on an article that was submitted to um, JAMA PEDS. Actually, it was um, Holly Agostino uh, and Brett and I, who, who co-authored an article, this was in 2019, documenting a doubling in the rate of presentations to emergency rooms across the United States for suicidality from roughly 2007 to 2015. And the age group that was most represented for the increase were those who were younger, um, under 12. And under 12, lo and behold, you see a lot more of what we call the externalizing disorders, disorders of youth that the youth themselves are not aware of, but people around them are. And like, that like would give, give us an example of the, some of those. Um, some of those that would uh, include the attention deficit hyperactivity impulsivity disorder. Right. Right. And that was always present in society. Um, but now we're flagging it and we're saying, hey, there's a problem here. Let's get these kids help. And what happens with the irritability, the impulsivity, is that the youth will have arguments, let's say, with their parents. And the parents very appropriately will scold them and punish them. And in so doing, the youth perceives that they're a burden to the parents and wrongfully concludes that their parents would be better off without them. Um, and that's, uh, that's too, much very, of a too much of a burden on their folks, too much trouble. Yes. And what we need to do is to address the original root cause, which is the irritability, once we address that and we can heal it and we can suppress it, we can treat the kid, the irritability decreases or resolves completely. There's no more the argument and the parent no longer punishes the child unnecessarily and the child, their self-esteem spontaneously improves, their depression improves and their suicidality resolves. 
What are the so, what are the modality, Doctor Greenfield? What are the modal? You know, we're just on limited time. I'd love to just let you go on and on, but uh, got to get some questions in here. What are the modalities um, used um, to to help young people? What, what are we talking about? Mindfulness, CBT, like what kind of what modalities are you finding that uh, seem to be uh, effective? Um, when you say mindfulness and CBT, what you're talking about are talking cures, and they're wonderful. They're a blessing because the youth have a need to explore their feelings, um, to hear about their adversity, um, to be coached in how to overcome the adversity, um, and to, to have a narrative shift, to be told, look, you're not weak and stupid. You're actually quite strong and courageous to continue going to school despite the divorce, the abuse, whatever. And that's very strong, and you find that in a verbal form of treatment. And so our first pass would be a verbal form of treatment. Now, if the distress doesn't resolve after some course of verbal therapy, perhaps a month or two, then we might consider using medication um, as, an, as an adjuvant to the therapy. And, and the two of them together are very effective for most, form, most disorders. So the 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 the, tr- the truth be told, the majority of the patients that I see or families I speak to with the kids in my practice you know, often say that you know they they have a psychiatrist or on medication. Uh, they see the psychiatrist once through you know once every couple of months. It's a twenty you know fifteen twenty minute uh, meeting about how the meds doing, how you feeling, and so on. Um, I know that for the most part, uh, medical practitioners and psychiatrists, especially and those providing that kind of front long front line care, hard to find the time to. Um, provide these young people with an ongoing talk therapy plan to augment, to augment their their med regime. How do you how do you kind of make all that work? It's uh, it's a, a sixty four thousand dollar question. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we with COVID's onslaught, society has seen how therapists are in very short supply. And we need trained professionals out there that understand adversity and understand psychiatric disorders um, and can help heal these youth. Um, The psychiatrist, unfortunately, over the past 20 years, uh, our our role has um, been somewhat restricted to consultation and uh, to pharmacologic management using medication. Um, And... A lot of times, the role, the the psychotherapy part, the verbal therapy, has been delegated to non-psychiatric colleagues, which is fine. Um, I mean, if if this is if we can access a larger segment of the population distressed using this algorithm, that's fine. Um, but we do need the therapists. We need the therapists out there to talk with these kids. Once we do that, we can do a lot of good healing. But I think we're finding now with COVID um, revealing more and more of the the weaker foundation that I think was always there, we're going to need more and more therapists to help heal these youth. I'm talking to Dr. Brian Greenfield. Unfortunately, you ran out of time. Um, doctor, you're prepared to come back again some other time? We'd love to have you on. Um, With pleasure. And, uh, yeah, and uh, let me wish you a Shavuot Tov, if that means anything to anybody. That certainly <laughs> should mean some, something to you and to me. Uh, let's get through this crazy world. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the overwhelming. What a great guy. Like, just 
sort of totally gets it. Uh, Brian Greenfield, he's a psychiatrist at Montreal Children's Hospital and I think now a new friend of our show. We're going to be right back. Yona Bud, 640, Toronto. Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Well, you've been out on the roads at all lately, and uh, you know, you're talking about all these uh, traffic cops that are out there directing traffic, making sure that you don't get yourself hurt. And when you get into an accident, you know, if you, it's that kind of accident where cops actually have to show up, they actually show up. And these are the traffic cops. These are the people that are out there dealing with um, road traffic and uh, all the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with that. Uh, months ago, I, 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 we found a, an expert on, uh, on um, traffic law, uh, and uh, he joined us. And uh, we've continued to be friends. Um, his name is Sean Shapiro. He's a police constable uh, in Toronto here. Um, but we, um, we became friends because I started following him on his live stream chats and videos. And uh, we have him with us here tonight because he does stay awake late. And uh, other than shoveling snow, he's probably not too busy because he does his work in the morning. Sean, welcome to the show. And I didn't realize that you're really underneath the uniform, that beautiful smile. You're a broadcaster. I, I, I Apparently, I'm doing a lot of things, including broadcasting. We're having a great time on social media. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. From where we were uh, a year ago to now, it's, it, you wouldn't believe it. Would you ever thought such? I mean, how long have you been on the job, brother? I've been with the service for 21 years. I started as a as an auxiliary, as a volunteer, became a court officer, and then transitioned to police constable. And uh, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be a face on social media and media, you know, speaking about the, the job and safety. So is this something that you kind of suggested was going to, uh, that something you were interested in doing? Or kind of how did this come about? How did we get the Ask PC Sean Shapiro uh, segments out there? Did the service come to you and say, hey, great smile, great, uh, great voice, and let's get you? Or did you kind of, kind of set this up at some level? It, it, to say that it happened by accident is it couldn't be truer. It happened because I was involved in a motorcycle collision as a motor squad officer. I was on my motorcycle heading back to the station and someone pulled out of a parking lot of a gas station and we met in the middle and had a, a had collision. So I was, I was out of the game and I'm still out of the game. I can't go on the road. I'm, I'm injured. I have a disability. Uh, well, at least that's the classification because I am not able to uh, currently f- perform my function uh, on the road. I can't get in a police car and take off and do my thing. Uh, so I was accommodated. I was put into another position so I could still do useful work. And then this sort of happened by accident. I was a graphic artist, a photographer. Uh, I, I started doing all the social media uh, design and, and production. And then one day I, I just started doing some video segments and those video segments ended up going on t- uh, onto Twitter. And uh, and then we said, well, there's an investigation about some kids that were skateboarding off the Gardner Expressway. I don't know if you remember hearing that story. Sure I do. Yeah. Well, that was on TikTok. So I had to create a TikTok account. Now, before that day, TikTok was about you know, kids doing dances and themes yeah. and jokes, and it wasn't yeah. something for the police to get involved in, yeah. but things changed and we put up content and it took off. And you know, that was the start of something amazing. And then one day I said, Hey, what's this button that says go live. And now I go live every day. And uh, we, we speak to <laughs> sometimes 2,500 people in a room, 25,000 people over an hour asking their questions, just, uh, you know, want to know what's going on. And we, and we answer the questions live. Amazing. Amazing. I, 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 and, you know, surprisingly, uh, not surprisingly, but you, you are so good at it. Um, so let's, you know, we're talking about, you know, one day we had 38 views, one day you had 21 views, one day you had 41 views. Um, well, you know, your views, you, 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 you had from two, LinkedIn. 
yeah, maybe whatever YouTube, whatever it doesn't matter. YouTube, two point one, <laughs> uh, the two two and a half, two point one thousand, a thousand and a half, a thousand three. Like you got all, you got some serious traction here, brother. I don't think I don't think I'm getting that many listeners on my show. Um, well, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe you'll have me on someday. To, you know, I would lo- well, I, I'd love to bring you out to the show. Uh, the, the, but here's the deal: uh, what you're seeing. So I I simulcast. So when I go online and and I'm and the the view that you're seeing when you're on LinkedIn or YouTube is going out on on Twitter. Uh, Twitch, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, multiple Facebook accounts. It goes on to the ones for Sean Shapiro, goes on the ones for the service. But our biggest audience is on TikTok. We have 554,000 followers on TikTok. Wow. We are the number one educational police channel in North America. And uh, wow. we have people from all over the world. People jump in and say, hey, I'm from Australia, from Ireland. It's some people from Germany jumping in. It's it's really amazing. And and that's our live segment. And the people who are consuming our, our Kenda or, or uh, pre-taped content, uh, it, we have videos. That, one video about tint, somebody lost their mind. They didn't like it. Yeah. 6.6 yeah. million views on one video. It's 27 <laughs> seconds long. That's amazing. I mean, truly, that's amazing. So obviously, you have a job when you finish the service. You'll, Possibly. you'll open you'll, you'll open yourself a YouTube channel and make all kinds of cash. Uh, you'll be selling underwear and T-shirts and batons and nightlights and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, but seriously, uh, uh, like, what type of? Give me an idea of the type of uh, question you might get on an average day. Like, are you are you sharing a story as you like? Give me an idea how you do your you do your show. I've I've listened to parts of it. I, I seem to be able to jump sure. in and out. But um, you, you know, are you, do you start with a with a sort of a theme for the day, or you you let the audience uh, direct it, your uh, content? It is entirely choose your own adventure. And we've had a, we've experimented with a whole lot of different things, and and there are obviously messages that we look forward to sharing, but they they really come organically. You know, someone brings up a topic, I end up in a story about something afterwards. But we we focus on tint, as uh, as as one of our viewers says, uh, is is probably one of our number one topics. And and you know, what's the legal, what's the, the legality of tint? How much over the speed limit can you go? Uh, can I get a ticket for speeding? What happens if I get charged or suspended? And they just have lots and lots of questions. Other people are like, I having a hard time getting my G2 or my G because of the pandemic. What do I do? Any tips? Like it is so organic and it's, it's really, it, as a police officer, having the opportunity to help hundreds, if not thousands of people during an hour and actually hundreds of thousands. Now we're honest to God, 2,500 people in a room watching and, uh, they come in for a minute. Some stay for the entire hour. We have people who show up every single day. We have moderators who are volunteering to even help answer questions in the comments. Cause it's just so busy. Everybody wants to, to know what's going on and, and get safer and avoid tickets. So we're helping them do all those things. Have you, you think of you, have you impacted, um, you know, yourself. First of all, how long have you been doing this, Sean? This is, we started in March of last year when we really, was, I opened wow. the account the year before the, and we didn't use it. We just had it for the investigation. Uh, and then in March is when we started and we went, you know, I thought success was hitting 18,000 followers because that's what we had on Twitter. And then we got to 50,000 and 100,000. And then overnight we had what, that 6 million video uh, view and we ended up with 300,000 new followers. We had five, we just, it hasn't ever stopped. And every time we think we've hit our peak and that we're gonna plateau and that's it, we get another 100,000 or 50. Like it, it's just, I, it's unpredictable, it's amazing. We really developed a community and uh, I appreciate them as much as hopefully they appreciate me. Are you are you in a studio in your home? Or are you in the studio in the in the uh, precinct somewhere or in the division? So I, I we we 
had an idea. We shuffled some uh, some, some uh, furniture. I used a uh, pop-up uh, display that we used to use for trade shows because that's how we used to interact. We'd set up a trade yep, show. We'd go to the yep. boat show, the bike show. Yep. So I used that as a background. We had some uh, some uh, fake uh, or, or replica street signs. I stuck those with thumbtacks to the wall, and that was my studio. So it's at work, and uh, I, I used all my own equipment for the first year, and the service is, is loving what's going on. They've invested in it. They bought their own equipment, and now my equipment has come home, and that's what I'm using right now for my basement. But, uh, you know, it... I now can, if I, if I, if I, I was on vacation, I took vacation for a week. I stayed in this every morning. I went live so people uh, uh, could still have contact. That's amazing. And, and I can hear in your voice, this is something that really, uh, really connects for you and really is, uh, I can hear how excited you are about doing it. Um, any other, any other groups, any other divisions, any other, I know you're, you're a traffic cop. And by the way, we're talking to uh, PC Sean Shapiro. Um, what exactly is the name? How, how, do, how does somebody, how do we tell somebody to listen into you on a, on a, in, a, in the mornings? So the segment's called Ask a Traffic Cop. So if you search the hashtag Ask a Traffic Cop, you'll find us. But we our, our username on uh, Twitter, if you want to follow us there, is Traffic Services. On The, the same on TikTok. Uh, we're Traffic Services Toronto on Instagram Live, where we also broadcast. We have a YouTube channel, which is Traffic Services Toronto Police. And uh, it's all going out at the same time. Of course, our, our largest content pool or, or uh, you know source of information, if you want to go and look at hundreds of hours of, of content, you can go and do that on our uh uh, on our TikTok page, where we have over 500 videos at this point, uh, which and, and I, I like to throw humor into it. It's got to be entertaining. No one's going to watch boring videos. Uh, but so, so I have fun making it. Uh, it's educational, and we, we've had such great feedback. I mean, folks who we've actually put a survey out recently, uh, and we we are looking for feedback to get an idea of who's watching us, what are they getting out of it, how do we make it better? Because at the end of the day, it's a product. It's all about them. We, you know, it's all about the viewers. It's all about helping them get the information they want. It's remarkable. I was going to ask if any other units do it, like homicide or youth gang or gun violence. Any of these people have anything going like you've got? Nothing like we've got in particular. We are, I think, a standalone in the uh, in, in North America, at very least. I, I can't speak for the rest of the world. Uh, and we're, we're in direct connection with TikTok. We talk to them on a regular basis. And we have all the police uh, users in uh, North America that uh, that are on an email list, and we try and stay current. But we're the largest, and uh, we're the only one doing the live Q&A. At very, at very least, we're the only one doing the live uh, Q&A uh, daily, Monday to Friday. There is Brooks, Alberta, who does a, a, a live as well. They're an RCMP detachment, and they've started doing it. Uh, but we, we they're, they're onboarding and bringing on more uh, police services all the time. I had a call from a chap in uh, Chicago. He's the media officer out there for Chicago police. And he says, listen, we love what you're doing. We want to do exactly what you're doing over there. Can you help us? And I'm happy to help any police service that wants to get this level of engagement and, uh, and, and broaden their, their reach and, and to a different market. Like we're talking to people that we could never talk to before. Uh, we have young people who are on the platform and, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we, we chat about all sorts of things, uh, but I've also had people reach out to me for other reasons off, you know, you're a friendly guy. It sounds like you, uh, you might be able to help me. And, we, and we've had some interesting chats about some things that were less fun topics, right? Someone who was, uh, you know, feeling about, uh, ending their life and they, they reached out and we ended up getting them some help. I'll tell you something, buddy. And you know, where how, how I feel about you and I'm uh, so impressed, but I now realize the backstory. And, uh, I think, uh, clearly whatever, uh, led to that, uh, horrible event where you ended up in this accident, Somehow, some way, there's a, some guidance going on here because sounds to me, my brother, like you've, uh, you've, like Stella's found his groove, so to speak, and uh, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're excellent at it, and want to continue to uh, to give you uh, give you uh, support as much as we can. We'll have you back on again. I want to, I'm just going to continue maybe from time to time as maybe some serious traffic stuff starts to happen. Uh, we'll get you back on again, but um, remarkable Anytime job. You want. 
Yeah, buddy. Remarkable job. Great voice. You're, you're so good at it. Uh, I'm talking to my friend Sean Shapiro. He's with Toronto Police Services. Uh, you can reach him or find out from him about his uh, program, hashtag Ask a Traffic Cop, and uh, you get out to him. And uh, he's a lot of fun to listen to. I, I do listen in. And uh, number one, he knows what he's talking about. And number two, he makes it fun. So, you know, traffic law may not be the greatest thing to be thinking about, but it may, in fact, save your life. And he's the guy to listen to. When we come back from break, oh. thank you so much for having us. Um, best traffic cop out there doing what he needs to do from a from a studio. He'll save more lives than the guys up and down the highways. Anyway, thank you so much for uh, listening to the first half of our show. When we come back, we've uh, got a whole bunch of new stuff. So we're going to take a longer break here and uh, do some uh, work here to pay for the ads and bring in some news. So go get yourself a drink. Go get yourself uh, go stretch your legs. Do what it is you need to do. We'll be back in a few minutes, and we got another hour of some really cool stuff. So we'll see you in just a few minutes. Yona Bud. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. The province recently announced it was scrapping license plate stickers effective March 13th and would be refunding drivers who've been paying for one since March of 2020. Checks would start going out at the end of April, provided all outstanding fines and tickets have been paid up. But scammers are hoping you didn't pay attention to those details and have sent out text messages purporting to be from Service Ontario. The message reads, as you know, we have removed all license plate stickers on all vehicles, so we are giving you back $120. Get hold of it here and a link is provided, followed by data rates may apply. Do not click that link. Service Ontario does not issue refunds in this manner, nor does it reach out via text. Any correspondence is done via the mail, and you can go to the Service Ontario website to ensure you actually qualify for the refund. Tina Trajani, Global News. Well, there you go. Welcome back. This is Yona Bud on Road to Recovery here on 640 Toronto. Thanks for joining us this evening. Basically, all these scams that are out there, uh, understand that the government and such and people, police and, and uh, federal uh, federal officers that may come and, and get you and all that, they don't operate over text. You don't get text messages to pay things or check your, your email or to check your credit card information and so on. Lots of scams out there and lots of people are being taken advantage of. I'm fortunate to this, this evening to have Constable Jennifer Degg with us tonight uh, from the Peel Regional Police. Uh, Constable Dag, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so are we going with Constable or Jennifer? Oh, you can go with Jennifer. Okay, perfect. Uh, Jennifer, um, lots of little, like, social media has really opened the door for lots of people, especially, you know, seniors, people in their uh, over 50, for example, who or 60 that haven't, uh, you know, really experienced the world of social media. So getting all these messages about things like, uh, we've got a couple of them here just to point them out to you. You know, there's the acquaintance that you've never met. Some scammers act like they're someone that you know, like a family message. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time. You know, click here and we'll get together. Um, you know, your package is pending. FedEx is waiting for you to click here so that you can get your package earlier, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Share with us. Let's, let's teach people. Let's see if we can give uh, some advice to help people uh, not fall uh, victim to some of these uh, scams out there. Well, we'll go with the first one that uh, you opened up with because it's new. And uh, on February 27th, uh, the, uh, the officers that were working on that, it was a Sunday, had uh, received a Twitter shared on um, social media and uh, they had tagged us in their posts and we had reposted it on our corporate account and um, it's a it's a phishing scam and it comes in the form of an email or a text and as you said are very common 
And uh, with the new provincial measures coming into place, uh, scammers are pivoted uh, quite quickly to create a plausible situation whereby perhaps someone would believe that there would they would be receiving a refund for their license plate stickers or sorry validation stickers. Um, I would suggest anytime you receive an email or a text from an unsolicited source, immediately treat it as a scam. Uh, wow! Sorry. So it's it, so unless you absolutely know, assume that someone's out to take advantage of you and not your long lost cousin Billy, who's actually searching you out to to reconnect, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, you know, I, there's there's the one out there. I, I get it at least once a month. I get a message. Uh, I can't tell you over what. Um, it's usually over Facebook, I think, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or Instagram, one or the other. Um, they where I get a message saying, uh, uh, "Hey, you know," and it comes from a, an, an email address I under, I recognize. You know, it's my buddy Billy. Uh, hey, Yona, um, down in the in the Bahamas having a real problem. I uh, just need access to some money to get home. Uh, can you wire it to me? Here's my information. Thanks, Billy. Uh, looks real, smells real, feels real. Of course, I know better. Um, first thing I do is reach out to Billy and go, hey, you've been hacked. Um, that stuff is really, it's hard to kind of sift through because sometimes if you're not paying attention and you don't have your glasses on, uh, it looks yeah. like it could be the real deal, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's a list of like the lottery scams. There's the emergency scams. There's an advanced fee scam. Uh, there's the romance scam. Um, there's also the possibility of, you know, with the, um, uh, the tax season coming up yeah, as well, right? right. Uh, you know, let's, that's, let's, let's talk, let's talk about that one. Let's, why don't you tell us about that one where they're, uh, it's supposed to come from Revenue Canada. Share that one with us. If you well, I, I have you received one cause I have received one. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a CRA something, right? It's a yeah. CRA filing yep. or something? And uh, we are moving into the tax season. Uh, so uh, we are anticipating seeing an increase in the number of a CRA tax scam. Emails, uh, text, uh, also, you know, they advise you of a refund. And right. um, the Service Ontario and the Canadian Rever- Revenue Agency or whatever organization out there, do not ever click on provided links. Uh, do not call the phone numbers they provide. Uh, don't go to the emails they suggest or ask you to click on. Um, take a second when you see that text and think, you know, stop engaging with the text or the email. Um, there are some text or emails where it allows you to, you know, converse back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, don't, don't do that. I wouldn't suggest doing that and engaging with it. Um, independently look up the organization if it's something that you are not familiar with. Um, FedEx is another email scam that um, that has, you know, I received those. And um, definitely do your homework. And if it's, uh, and always be skeptical, skeptical and cautious is what I would suggest. What, um, how are we able to actually police this? I mean, you're, you're talking about things that consumers can do, and, and that's really what I, what I asked you in the onset to, to you know, what, what can we do to make everybody a little safer? Uh, but <clears throat> I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I, I was getting, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a crisis worker. I run a crisis practice. I got a lot of people in, in different facilities and residents and such that we, that we operate. So, you know, my phone is on all the time. And I do often get phone number, phone calls from places that I don't necessarily recognize the phone number. And for the sure. most part, well, for the most part, I send a message saying, this is Yona Bud. I'm tied up right now. Please send your message by text. So I usually can, you know, but, but the problem is sometimes, and I, I look at my phone every time it rings. So the problem is for, you know, months on end, I was getting uh, scam or, or, or spam type phone calls, uh, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen a day, different phone numbers in, in sequence. I'd phone my, my carrier at the, who, at, you know, was, uh, is uh, Rogers at, at that time and said, you know, can you block them? The problem is you can't. So the, the, when you start working with phones and cell phones and that kind of stuff, which is what this new, the, all these new, over the last few years, these new scams are, are focused on, the, the, the phone companies themselves can't do anything to filter or block. Um, what, what, what can you do as a, as a policing organization uh, to help people that are getting these, if anything, that are getting these you know, continual phone calls? And by the way, when, once you answer, just so you know, once you answer even by accident, you're now on a live list. If you don't answer, you're on a dead list, which means hopefully it's going to go away after a while. If you answer, you're on a live list. Now you're valuable because you're a live body. They're going to sell you to somebody, right? So how, what, what, can, what can you do as a policing organization or what can people do to protect themselves? With that, uh, depending on what phone you have as well, you can block a phone number from your actual phone. Right. Um, they will then attempt to send you another message by another phone number. Um, but if you recognize that you know for sure you know nobody at that number, you block it. And eventually you will become a member on that dead list. However, it, you can report it to a police service, to the okay. Fraud Bureau, and okay. or you can also report it to the uh, Can-Am Anti-Fraud Center as well. Yeah, good advice. That's me. You know, that, you know, you're right. If, if, if I'm, you know, I, it's interesting because I get, I get messages saying that this is, uh, your Scotiabank account is at risk of being closed. Please get a hold of us right away. Problem is, I don't have a Scotiabank account. So there, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody, right? Um, I received th- those, uh, as well from, uh, the Scotiabank as well. Yes. Yeah, it's a social, Scotiabank yeah. seems to be the one they're picking on the most. Constable Jennifer Dagg with the Peel Regional Police. Um, love to have you come back and uh, keep us informed. And I want to talk to you about the canine stuff you did. That excites me a lot, too. Uh, so please join us again. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we, you know, we're getting to that end of the show. I want to let you guys know that I love you. You are the best audience ever. We appreciate you joining us. We're hopeful that uh, some of this uh, impacts you in a positive way, um, whether you've just uh, enjoyed the content uh, or, in fact, may actually help you uh, going forward in your some of your life challenges and struggles <clears throat> excuse me that's what we're here for so just remember love the one you're with kiss the people that are important to you give them a hug let people know that they're special it, you can never do that too much right you can never let somebody uh, know that they're special too often because frankly they don't get tired of hearing from hearing of it even they say no no come on that's don't bother you no no they love it people love to hear that they're special that they're important and that you care about them so i care about you i'm giving you all a giant virtual hug and we're going to do all of this again next week. Uh, just remember, get out there, spread nice, right? Just spread nice everywhere you go, and nice comes back to you. You're on about here, 640 Toronto.